0: There are so many great teachers out there, but often they're being great behind the closed doors of their individual classrooms. That's why Better Lesson was started over 15 years ago, to share ideas, lessons, strategies, inspiration, all teacher to teacher in the hopes of helping our students become their best and brightest selves. Today, we're going to continue that tradition by talking to an amazing teacher, Monica Washington. Monica was 2014 Texas Teacher of the Year That's right, for the entire state, and was recently inducted into the National Teacher Hall of Fame. Thankfully, Monica is still an educator. She's actually teaching teachers at Reach University and is the founder of MUSE Education, which stands for Meaningful Uplifting Student Experiences. We're so happy to have her. And our host today is Roma Bertrand, Better Lessons Director of Solution Design. Also, a former educator and our resident expert at connecting with other educators about what makes them great. So, let's get started.
1: Hello, Ramon. How are you, friend?
0: It's so
2: good to see you. Welcome to Teacher Talk.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. Like, everybody needs to have a little Teacher Talk in their lives. So, thank you.
2: you. (laughs) I agree. I'm so honored and excited that you will be our first guest for this series. You're very humble. So I will start by telling the world about the amazing teacher you are. So Monica Washington joining us today is the Texas Teacher of the Year 2014. Did I get that, Monica?
1: Yeah, that's right. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's that's a big state to represent. Yes. But that's that's a huge accomplishment. And also, yeah. you were just inducted in the National Teacher Hall of Fame this summer. I-
3: I was, craziness, right?
2: (laughs) That's amazing. So when I reached out to you and I told you about this idea, you were so kind. You say, yes, I want to do it. I'll be your first guest, so thank you. And basically what we want to do is we want to create an intimate space just to have a one-on-one conversation with an amazing teacher. And we want to learn from this teacher. And we want this to also be an experience that is funny if possible at times, deep at times, silly. We don't want it to feel like heavy. But we want to have a range of questions that we can throw at you that can allow us to learn about your craft, to learn about your teaching experience, but also to learn about what you're passionate about and what you're passionate about advocating as well. And um, so, without further ado, you're ready to go? I'm
1: ready to go. I love that format.
2: (laughs) So, let's go. So, first, Monica, I'm calling this section Take Us Back to the Start. I have a first question for you What is a memory? that you still have of your first day ever teaching in the classroom. Mm -hmm. What was that like?
1: I remember the day well, because I wasn't hired until Friday before the kids got there. So you can imagine, like I didn't have the first week with all the teachers. I didn't get to meet everybody. So I came in super, super nervous and just spent the whole weekend, like trying to get the whole, you know, the classroom ready. The teacher before me, She just decided to leave and left everything in there. And I just remember being in that space like, wow, I had to transform this classroom in two days. And I'm looking at all of these seventh graders who I guess were like 12 years old, 13 years old. And I realized that like in that moment, I was the adult in the room. And I was like, at any moment, somebody's going to come and realize like we hired (laughs) the wrong person. Like she shouldn't be here yet. She has some more learning to do. So it was just like faking the funk, going through the motions, (laughs) and realizing that I was in charge. And that was terrifying to me that I was in charge. And I was like 22, 23 years old. So yeah, just that reality of I'm an adult. They're in my charge. I have to take care of them, which was fine. But yeah, there's no master teacher to help you. There's no one there. You're just in there with them. Mm -hmm. And that's what I remember most, that I was on my own, (laughs)
2: Wow, that's amazing. So you're right. There was no master teacher with you there. However, that Mm -hmm. makes me think of my second question for you. I am sure that many people had advice they wanted to give you at the beginning Mm -hmm. of that career. So my question to you is, what is the worst advice? No names needed. You were given (laughs) as a new teacher in particular. And then also, what is maybe the best piece of advice you were given as a brand new teacher?
1: Mm, I would say I to look at me, I look like the person that you needed to give advice to because I, I looked way younger than everybody else. I was like baby and like all the way baby in the face and always been the smallest person. So it's like, oh, let's go help her poor thing. And so a lot of what I got that was don't smile at them. Wait until you get to December. Um, to you know for uh, winter break before you smile don't smile be mean you better be stern because if you're not stern on that first week first two weeks they will run slap over you you look like a kid <laughs> and you better be the meanest person they've mm-hmm. ever met and um, I remember the first week thinking like oh my gosh I failed because I was already making jokes with them I was already smiling I was already having good time And had completely ignored that without realizing it. I just kind of let my own personality come through. And I thought that that was going to be, Mm. you know, the thing that caused me to fail at first. Because I thought all of these veteran teachers must know better than I do, right? They don't smile at their kids. But it it turned out to be just really bad advice. Um, Everybody should be smiling on the first day. Like, what is that about? And I'll say, like, I don't know, good advice good advice sort of was was just not told to me, but it was, mm-hmm. it was acted upon. And that was to find the people in the building who are positive and be around them as much as you possibly can. Those people who are not going to leave you by yourself, not going to leave you without the answers. And so I quickly found that group of people who would sort of take me under their wing and say like, no, don't do it this way, do it that way. Or um, that's what they say on paper, but this is what they really mean. So, yeah, it was I think that the good advice was just about how to manage things and how to mm-hmm. how to listen, how to read between the lines of what we were given to do and how to give kids what they needed in spite of any barriers that might have been in the place. So, yeah, just thinking about just being around supportive people. That was good advice.
2: Yeah. What you shared first resonated with me because I also got that advice at the beginning of my teaching yes, career in 1998, 99,
3: yes. of not
2: smiling, of not not being too nice, of being really an authority mm-hmm. figure from the get-go. And something that made it even worse, I got that advice from teachers. But I also one day got two students in my classroom stopped me at the end of the class after a week of teaching and telling me, hey, you know what, Mr. B, we, I think you're a nice guy, but we want to tell you something you got to be a lot meaner than that to get really? us. Really? <laughs> and I was like, Aww. oh, I don't think I can do that. And they were like, well, you know, usually that's what people do. All mean. And I was like, I walked out of this, you know, 22, 23. And I was like, Do are they right? Do I have to change that? Or can I just teach and be me? And can that work? And that's hard when it yeah. happens. So, and the truth is, share, that it's totally possible to teach and build relationship with students. Yes. Be uh, nice to your students while being, you know, fair and,
1: and clear. Fair and firm. Yeah. And firm. You know what? And that tells me that, you know, think about all the years probably before you that those students, experienced teachers who were following that bad advice. And so when yeah. you come along and you're not, and so they're like not used to that.
2: So, Monica, the start for you, by the way, where was that? And when was that? Is that OK to ask you when was that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, no. Hesitation about that. So for me, 1998, Memphis, Tennessee, and at Chickasaw. It was Chickasaw Junior High at the time. It is now Chickasaw Middle School um, in Southwest Memphis with seventh graders um, and one ninth grade class. So all seventh and then one ninth grade class. Eventually one ninth grade class. Um, but yeah, that's where I started. That's where that's where I learned how to teach. Like my kids taught me how to teach. That mm-hmm. those kids in that middle school taught me how to teach. 1998 1999 those years where Mm -hmm. i was like think figuring it out like (laughs) i think that i'm like oh man i didn't know what i was doing um but like no kids were harmed in the process yeah yeah, those are that's where i learned 1998 memphis
2: tennessee shout out to them
1: (laughs) yes shout out chickasaw (laughs) so let's flash forward
2: a few years to when you feel like you have your act together you're starting to feel like Mm -hmm. a good teacher maybe not teacher of the year yet but you're starting to Mm-mm. feel like you make a difference and so I want to get to the craft with you to your craft right with a few simple right. questions the first one what is your favorite lesson strategy move that you used in your classroom um, that you wish more people knew about
1: yeah and you know and I'm glad that you said once I've figured some things out mm-hmm. like, because this is something that I never would have done in those early years because it taps into, I think, a little bit of fear teachers have sometimes. Um, but I eventually began to learn to love giving some choices. Um, oh. And at first, it was like this is what we're doing; everybody has to do it. You know, I wasn't like this stern and mm-hmm. in that way, but I wanted to make sure that everybody was getting the same thing. And we're just gonna. And then, you know, some late, some years later, I realized that they could show me the way that they learned and it didn't have to be in the exact same way. As a matter of fact, they did so much better when I gave them choices at the end of the unit. Mm. So I would do this thing where I had maybe nine different ideas of how you could show me that you learned the material. And then number 10 was an open one. And so Open means that you're going to come up with your own way and come to me and get it approved. And then you're going to do that thing. And we'll figure out the, what rubric best fits in all that. And I I loved it because it blew, they blew my mind. The things that I thought of in numbers one through nine were nothing compared to what kids came up with in number 10. Like mm. a kid would read a book and then realize that, you know what, instead of writing about the book, I also like to bake. So I'm going to take the symbols of the book and sort of bake the symbols mm-hmm. into a cake like I would have ever put that in there. Um, so, yeah, definitely having. So not one particular unit or a lesson, but that move and putting that at the end of a major unit was fabulous. And then kids who were once afraid to to take you know a chance or a risk eventually started to look around the room at some of the examples mm-hmm. and then they started to. So that's like my favorite thing to do. (laughs) And I would have, as a first-year teacher, second-year teacher would have been terrified to give 10 choices Mm. to do something. (laughs) I'm almost curious, do you
2: remember when the switch happened and you actually dared to go there?
1: Oh, man, I would say, I'll say it was after my 10th year, for sure. Like it, you know, I got a really solid foundation of just how to, how to teach, how to do things that I was supposed to do academically, how to hit the objectives and all that. And then, you know, once you get seven years, eight years in, you take a few more risks. Um, And it was at that probably that ninth or 10 year Mm -hmm. mark that I was like, okay, I've got this. And if something does go wrong, I know how to troubleshoot. I wasn't sure that I knew how to troubleshoot before that. (laughs) Yeah. yeah,
2: No, I, I think you're right. It's like when we know that we have these Pivot that we can operate are we able to react to the unexpected which in your first second year sometimes so hard Mm -hmm. right so that makes me think of another question for you about this like i feel like we all have as teacher like a bag of tricks these would be like teaching moves or strategies that we know we can tap into maybe when we have a bad day or the students Mm -hmm. are having a bad day but something we can consistently go to like a go-to move that is helping us. Did you have one? And if so, or do you have one? And if so, which one?
1: Yeah, I'll say that this also took a lot of time for me to get comfortable with, but letting kids talk (laughs) like I remember thinking in those early years that if someone had a super quiet classroom like oh my gosh that's a great teacher it is so quiet in there and then I realized that like no like noise can be really good and productive Mm -hmm. if, if it's productive noise right so I started to whenever there was like you know the kids had gotten to a point where They've got it or they have it enough to be able to grapple with it, giving them a tough topic, putting them in little small groups and giving them roles Mm -hmm. and having them talk about it and solve a problem together. They loved it. And they would come in and say, like, when are we going to have a discussion again? Um, At the beginning of the school year, though, not so much because you have Mm -hmm. to sort of work them up and Mm -hmm. teach them how to be able to have good and productive Mm -hmm. conversations. What are good questions? What are probing questions? But they got so good at it that. I could be absent. So I remember one time I was, I had to be absent to go to a PD and uh, it was on a day that we were going to have like small group discussions and they were like, Oh man, we were going to be talking today. Um, And I was like, well, I'm not going to leave that with a substitute teacher. You have to wait until I get back. And they're like, we're going to do well. Ah. So I was like, okay, I'm going to let you have small group discussions without me being in the room. And I thought, okay, this is going to be a disaster. I came back, looked on my desk for, you know, what we all look for is the the substitute note, the the note, right? Yes, and she said, "I absolutely love this class." They came in, they had their topic to talk about. They were so respectful. Everybody was amazing. They were using each other's names and being positive. She was like, I don't know how you got them to do this, but if you ever need to be out again, please request me. Oh, wow. So, like that thing. So, teaching kids how to have productive Mm -hmm. conversations with each other. And at any point in a unit, you can stop Mm -hmm. and do that. So, yeah,
2: love. I think it's such a great tip and such a great move because if you're having a bad day, getting your students to do more of the heavy lifting and and, and be active more can be such a great way also for you to find your energy back and to take Mm -hmm. a step back and and watch them learn and work. Because I feel like sometimes when I was having a bad day, sometimes I would try to like overwork or over teach to try to to make it happen, speak it to existence, right? But then Mm -hmm. it would not always work. So I love that, I love that. Your example, Makes me think of another question I wanna ask you. I always feel like the best teachers, when you see them in action, there are plenty of things that are visible. You you can see how they give instructions to students. You can see the quality of the question they ask. You can see how they can deliver a really inspiring message, right? Or or an interesting Mm -hmm. one. But there is like the hidden part of the iceberg that you don't see. And for me, often it's like the individual relationships that you have built with each of these students. And it's not necessarily something you can observe. You can kind of infer when you see a class, you're like, hmm, that teacher must have a good relationship. But you rarely can see how they are being built. So I would like to know if you have any strategy or advice you'd like to share about how you build individual relationships with your students.
1: So I think for me, it always had to come down to the community first. So thinking about what type of community do I want to have with this particular group? And we want that to be like positive, engaging, interactive, all those things. But it doesn't happen just with you take one big group of kids and you make it happen. Mm-hmm. You have to, as you said, hone in on those individual relationships And for me, the very first thing is just being a human being. So Mm -hmm. often, like the profession tells us that we have to be so buttoned up and we have to have all the answers and we have to not make a mistake. Mm -hmm. But we have to first be human. First day of school, like one of the things that I said every year was, you know, what my name is, I'm Monica Washington, I'm your teacher this year, but I'm also a student in this classroom. And know that while you are a student in the classroom, you also are going to be teachers. And so letting them know, like, that's the kind of community that we're going to create. And so from then getting to know who they were individually, and especially Mm -hmm. like the ones who weren't seeming as comfortable to talk, I want to figure out what is it that makes that person tick? Like what, what are the interests? What are they into? Mm -hmm. So there were always like, I didn't do a lot of decorating. I want their personalities to be in the room. So who are they? Where does it live in the classroom? And so One of the things that um, I did every at the start of every class, we have the bell ringer like we have in many schools. But then just a quick two minutes of what's going on, what announcements do we want to make? And so you know they go like, oh, I have a job interview at Sonic today, and everybody go, woo, good luck. And somebody else could say, my brother's coming home from the military, and so then I'm learning about them, they're learning about each other, Mm -hmm. and then I can follow up and have those individual conversations as I'm moving about. Um, And then always having, you know, sometimes we we get to school sometimes and you have kids already in the hallway waiting for you. Mm-hmm. Like Sometimes I'll be so tired. But when they are wanting to be there during their lunch before school, after school, that means you're doing it right. That means yep. they feel seen. So what is it that I'm doing to make sure that I see everybody? So I want to see them all, hear them all and provide opportunities for their voice mm-hmm. as much as I possibly can. And then they're they're willing to tell me anything.
2: Yeah, that's such good advice. I, I think what, when you when you share these moments that we have to maximize like the, the you know kids are in the hall waiting or maybe sitting next to one on the bus or and I, I, I learned that along the way, but these moments are so precious. And it's Mm -hmm. almost like you have to commit to not talk about work during this moment as much Mm -hmm. to commit, to be curious and interested and want to learn about them and possibly share things about you. And that makes me think of one of my favorite strategy too. It's called the two by 10 is this Mm. idea to try to have two minutes of conversation with the same student for like 10 days in a row. And if you can do 10 days, you do like five days in a row, no agenda, no grades, no advice just talking yes. and yes. actually this strategy is proven to be one of the most effective way to help a student who's struggling currently in the class kind of re-engage mm. and re because of that that relationship being rebuilt so important i don't think I we teach that love enough that.
1: we don't i love that it's such a good strategy you made me think of something else too how you know when i talk to teachers and i coach them And they think about, they'll say, like, this person, this student has such challenging behavior for me. And I'll say to them, I'll say, you know, sometimes who a student is in the classroom is not really who they are outside Mm -hmm. of the classroom. We have to figure out who is that outside of the classroom person so that that person shows Mm -hmm. up. And it's hard not to take those things personally, but they're often reacting to something else Mm -hmm. that's not even us. So I love that two by 10 um, strategy yep, because it gets to that, who they really are.
2: And we'll put all these resources in the podcast description that we're talking about. So if people want to look yeah. at that later, the other thing that it makes me think about is um, the master teacher project you worked on mm-hmm. for us in Kansas city and all these educators that you captured strategies or videos. And there's one that I keep going back over and over. She does yes. this activity with the kids in the morning where she asked them or at the end of the week, she, she asked them to put together a wall of the things that they're watching, listening to, interested in right now right do you do you know what strategy mm-hmm. i'm referring to in, the, in what video
1: yes you're talking about pop culture as dialogue yes. is the name of the strategy and that yes. is janae johnson who texted me ju- just Shout the other janae. day right. <laughs> yes i'm still super close to her she is amazing yes that is a really it's one of my favorite strategies too um because she she takes it a, a step further and you know yes. not only is it just like a wall that's there for them to see and she takes the names of the movies and the songs yes. and she incorporates it into her lessons. So Yes, and so that's, good. <laughs> I, I'm with
2: you. That's the thing I like so much about it. It's not performative. It's not just about, I'm going to try to pretend I'm cool and asking you everything you like. Is She would try to take some of these elements and figure out how can I actually incorporate some of that really true, meaningfully in teaching uh, for my students. Yes. and. You can see in the room at that moment when they're sharing that with her that they love that. And it's just a big thank part you. of what they do with her. Well, thank you so much for giving us all these um, insights into your craft. Yeah. I want to enter a third and final kind of path in our time together. I'd like to talk with you a little bit about or ask you a little bit about what uh, you want to see changed, what you are excited to change in our educational system or advocate for? And because I think that's a big part of what, who you are and what you do. You're an amazing teacher, but you're also using what you've earned to advocate and bring power in spaces where change needs to be made. Yeah. So I have a first question for you. It's okay. very simple. But what is something you wish more people knew about the reality of teaching?
1: You know, I wish more people knew that teaching is a profession like they say that Mm -hmm. but I don't think that actions show that I don't think that conversations about education show that people Mm -hmm. really understand that it is a profession that people have spent years being trained that, that it is a craft right so like that is the first thing and I saw firsthand this year that I've been away from that lesson that um, when we go into spaces with legislators and we go into spaces with people who are sort of like tangentially related to education, like they touch it a little bit. On, yeah, you know, yeah. there's a school down the street that's as close as they come. Often it's, you know, there is a certain respect gets to a certain point, like, oh, good job. Thank you for your service, teachers. But the respect is not there and they don't quite really know what's happening in the school. And so I just wish that I could like sprinkle some dust <laughs> mm-hmm. all over and give people some real and true enlightenment about the fact that teaching is a profession. I think, you know, at the start of the pandemic, of course, everybody was, you know, <laughs> celebrate. We should celebrate teachers and we have to mm-hmm. do more for them. And now I see and I'm at home with my own kids. You And that lasted maybe two weeks. And then we saw like a lot of the negative Mm -hmm. articles and negative comments come about. And so, yeah, I think that there has just been over time just this disconnect from what teaching actually is and what the public often thinks that we are doing in schools with kids. And so, yeah, I would, I would, that's Mm -hmm. the thing. That's one Mm -hmm. of the things.
2: (laughs) I'm I'm with you on that one. Mm -hmm. So it takes me to the next question. It's a little silly, but let's try it.
1: No, let's do it.
2: If you met a genie in a bottle, that genie told you that they could change three things instantly tomorrow about the teaching profession, what would be the three things that you would ask as a start?
1: You know, popping into schools all over this country, I definitely know that there is a disparity in access access to resources, access to, you know, human resources and Mm -hmm. material resources. So that would be the first thing that I would do for kids is I would level the playing field in terms of access and give kids access to the resources and the people that they need to be able to to do well like we're not just teaching so that people can be good you know students can be good in math or science we're trying to create good citizens and you can do that better if they have exactly what they need so I think that would be the first thing you want to take care of the kids first Um, the students in our classrooms first. And then I would, thinking back to the the thing I just talked about, is I would increase the respect. Um, And I think Mm -hmm. that comes with understanding what we do as a profession, um, understanding the profession as a whole and the people who are in it. So increasing that respect. And I think with the increase of respect will come increase in pay. Um, It is really sad that our profession has more professional people who have to work second and third jobs only to make, you know, to make ends meet. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Texas ranks number one or number two, Um, my state does, in teachers with second and third jobs, Uh, um, which makes no sense to me for people who train and work really hard and spend time before, during, after school, um, supporting other people's children Mm -hmm. in the best ways they know how. that is the reality. And so we have to pay a living wage. We have to pay a professional wage. And when we do that, then that that doesn't solve all the problems, but it definitely helps those who are in it and who love it to stay there and to continue Mm -hmm. to do it. And so, yeah.
2: So those three. These are really good ones. And I fully align with you on those. I want to talk a little bit more about the first one, this idea of increasing access. And I think you were getting to the fact that there is there are inequities in access right now. So what is one of the first thing you would change when it comes to that? Like what is one of the most glaring for you sign of in an inequitable education yeah. system? And what would you like to see us focus on?
1: Absolutely. And I think, you know, if I could just call the genie back one more time, I would say, genie, could you please do away with funding schools based on property around mm-hmm. the school? Um, I cannot believe that in almost 2024 that that is still the model that we are mm-hmm. using. And it shouldn't be the case that you can have a school on this block that has absolutely every single thing the, that it needs for the kids. And I, I, I'm i so happy that those kids do. But you can go over three blocks in so many cities. Mm-hmm. Like there is almost a line where the property taxes change yes. and those schools have less They, you know, the facilities aren't up to par. I would do away with that. I do not understand why that has not been eradicated by any administration. I know it takes a lot. There are a lot Mm -hmm. of layers there, but that would be the first thing that I would change um, because I think that that inequity in in resource, like, it's not just things. It, It travels and it stays with kids long past the time that they graduate from 12th
2: grade yeah so, I totally yeah. agree with you and it's connected with other inequities that to me are, are glaring and, and just mine if you allow me to share is related to the content that's taught which is math mm. mm-hmm. and the fact that math remains one of the main gateway yes to university access right we know mm-hmm. that being able to complete algebra one or math one depending on how you You call it in different places, a state that probably other denomination or um, taking a pre-calculus or a calculus course. These are almost like gateways to a college career, like a great going to great college. But there's not a level playing field for these courses because there are middle school will offer advanced math classes in seventh, eighth grade. Mm -hmm. And others who simply cannot afford to do this or cannot find certified teachers to teach them. Right. So if these are going to be gateways, then they have to be offered everywhere. If we think being strong in math is important, I believe it is. I, d- I don't think we need to change that. We need math. But then we need mm-hmm. to make sure that everybody can access these courses equitably.
1: Absolutely. So that's, a,
2: that's a really important one. So thank you for sharing that.
1: Yes, 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 yes. I didn't have AP classes, you know, in my high school. Um, I did really well. But then when I went to college, I was in classes with, with people who had that access, mm-hmm. right? They they, mm-hmm. they went to school not that far from me and they had those classes. I had honors, but I didn't have AP mm-hmm. because our school just couldn't yeah. afford, the, you know. So, yeah.
2: yeah. And that's, there's nothing a child does to choose that.
1: Exactly. Mm-hmm.
2: We'll do one more. And I'm going to okay. allow you, you're a very positive person. Mm. So let me ask you this. What is one of your biggest pet peeves when it comes to the way sometimes school years take care or do not take care well of their teachers or staff
1: i'll say one thing that drives me crazy is the fact that often we we'll hear our school leaders you know praise us beginning of the school year you know, an email here and there about how you know we're so good at what we do, what we do and we're experts however when a teacher or a group of teachers wants to take a risk of, you know, trying a new project or doing mm-hmm. something in a different way, they're met with um, with questions, with doubt. Um, and there isn't that sort of room to grow. And And I think that that has to do sometimes with fear of leadership of I don't know what. Um, but if we say that teachers are professionals and then we handcuff them and we keep them from doing the things that professional people mm-hmm. do then are we really believing that? I think Mm -hmm. we know the right things to say to teachers, Mm -hmm. but when it comes time to act upon it, no. I remember um, just a quick example. One of the things that our department used to do, um, we had in Texas, we had a state writing exam and all the kids had to write in, in, in order for them to practice. You can imagine that's a lot to grade. So we would give this one benchmark in the spring and our department chair was amazing and she would um, at, she would invite us over to her house. We would spend that day and we would bring all of those big stacks of, of, of benchmark essays and we would grade and we would do like an assembly mm-hmm. line. So I'm going to grade it, pass it to Ramon, you see if you get the same. Um, and it was really effective and we were able to give kids feedback, you know, in a quick way. And uh, we got a new principal who came in and thought like, hmm. Shouldn't they be at school where I can watch them? Right. Shouldn't Like, are they really grading? Are they really are they Mm -hmm. playing, having a party? We were sitting on the floor in her living room just eating chips and grading, but it was comfortable to be outside of school. And he stopped us from doing that. You know, those kinds of things Mm -hmm. where, you know, we're told that we're professional, but we're not treated as such. Those are those are the things that are going to get your most talented mm-hmm. teachers, your most passionate teachers. Yeah. It's going to make them go away. Um, so for sure, that that one yeah. right there.
2: <laughs> no, you make an excellent point. And I work with principals every day. I was I was a school leader myself, so this is not coming mm-hmm. from a place of one to bash principal. I think principal is one of the hardest jobs. Oh, um, for sure, it's a very lonely job, and we have amazing yes. principals working out there trying to to do their job better. And if they're listening to this, hopefully that, that means they want to do this better.
1: Yes, one of the I love principles. Let me say yeah. that.
2: <laughs> and one <laughs> like, of the things that, that I talk with them about often is the fact that we don't realize that the pandemic has provided teachers with a window into, I mean, distance learning was hard and mm-hmm. teaching from home was hard. It's not something anybody wanted to do. But I think you mm-hmm. give teachers a window into what it is like to have more flexibility in your work and to be able to be treated as a professional like in many other professions where you have a job you do your job but you also have some elements of flexibility that allow you to go to the bathroom when you need to go to get a break when you need a break to attend uh, um, you know your children's functions at schools or a variety of things have more time right and so Mm -hmm. when we go back to in-person teaching a lot of this is wonderful but we also realize all of a sudden that there are certain rigidities in our systems that Um, making the teaching profession not as sustainable. And I see principals out there that continue to want to experiment with that because of what we learn and try Mm -hmm. to figure out how we can give more time and flexibility to teachers. And it often makes a difference, right? We see a lot of school districts experimenting with a four-day school week. You know, we, we see school districts experimenting with more planning time and being smarter about certain things we do in the classroom that maybe we could remove teachers from so that they could have planning time. But yes. I think that's very, very important. So yeah. Monica. That piece you just
1: said really quickly, like yeah. what you just said, like, yes, that constantly adding things without removing something mm-hmm. that's already on the plate, like that is, that has to happen because teachers are overworked. Um, the best ones are going to be overworking and they, mm-hmm. they also are overworking themselves. <laughs> so yeah. when a principal can pull back on some of that, that's golden. Yeah. So thanks for saying that.
2: Oh, thank you. So we're getting to the end of our conversation together. I had a great time, but I, we, we're yes. going to do two more things. First thing, okay. I want to ask you a quick question about coaching. Because mm. Better Lesson, it's 200 plus coaches and teachers all over the country uh, coaching remotely and virtually teachers and helping them build something that they're excited about in the classroom. And it's kind of breaking... This idea that um, we need to be in the same room necessarily to have a collaborative, constructive conversation that people can be matched from state to another and enjoy working together. And you and I have experienced that, having been coaching for years. So having coached educators virtually for years, what is one thing you wish more people knew about what it is like to coach someone that is not in the same room as you?
1: Yeah. You know, and I'll admit when I first came to Better Lesson, that was one thing that I had some trepidation about. I thought, Mm -hmm. you know, the best coaches are probably the ones that can just walk into the room. Mm -hmm. And I realized that one thing that being virtual afforded me was that I didn't know the other people in the Mm -hmm. the building. So I didn't there was no fear. I think that there has to be some integrity in the coach coachy relationship. Um, where what you tell me is confidential Mm -hmm. and I'm helping you because I'm helping you. And it's not because I have to go and report something to your principal. Mm. Um, And so I quickly began to just use some of the same things that I've done with teachers in person in terms of building Mm -hmm. relationships. And those things still come across right through a screen, you can still mm-hmm. be warm, you can still find out about people's passions and um you can still share exactly what's happening. And then you have the added benefit of mm-hmm. that confidentiality. The fact that I would tell my my better lesson teachers all the time, they're like, I'm your person. Like I don't know your principal. I don't know your department chair. Really I'm here. your person. I'm mm-hmm. here to support you. And so we can cry if we need to. We can be frustrated Mm -hmm. if we need to, and then we can solve the problem together. And so um, I quickly learned that Mm -hmm. and I have told so many people that, you know, I know coaching online is a thing that Mm -hmm. I think should be expanded. And it is super beneficial because it allows for so much flexibility. We've said that word a lot today. Um, but it allows for that flexibility and you can still find ways to peek into the classroom and see exactly what's happening, yes. whether it's through a video clip or mm-hmm. some audio, looking at student work together. The only thing that hap- that doesn't happen is I cannot physically walk into the room unless I do a learning walk. Right. Um, but still, the, the main mm-hmm. components of that relationship are there and I yes. think better are better. So absolutely.
2: Yes. <laughs> so Monica, what is a question you wish I had asked you?
1: I would say, you know, I think I hear a lot from teachers that I support about like the times that they're teaching in right now and how sometimes things can feel like such a battle and they don't know when to push in and fight and when to be quiet and sort of protect their job. So maybe a good question is like, what is your cause? Like, what is the thing that for you you would make the picket sign. You would shout to the mountaintops on behalf of kids because you know that that thing leads to better outcomes for students, for teachers, mm-hmm. for education in general. So, like, what's your cause? What do you What are you ready to fight? You're fired up about. Yeah. <laughs> yes.
2: So can I ask you? Can oh. I Can I ask you two things? One, ask you this question. Second, okay. Can I ask this question to our next guest?
3: Yes, absolutely.
1: absolutely. So, Monica, Please. what is
2: What is the thing you would Go to the mountaintop to fight about or shout about.
1: Yes, I would go to the mountaintop to keep us. And when I say us, I mean our our current legislation across states to keep us from shrinking education. So Mm -hmm. in that by shrinking, I mean banning books. I mean, um, cutting back on conversations that teachers can have with their students Mm -hmm. that goes into that trust piece. Um, we my state has banned more books than any other state in the country Um, and we want to create a society in which students can talk or people can talk Mm -hmm. to each other in a cordial way and learn from each other and see Mm -hmm. diversity as an asset Mm -hmm. Um, so I would go to the mountaintop and say like let's stop shrinking Mm -hmm. education Um, let's give students full access to what they need um, in an age-appropriate way, of course. So, second graders are learning about it in a way that second graders would, and twelfth graders are learning about mm. it in a way that they should. But that we shouldn't shrink because we don't trust teachers, and we shouldn't shrink because we fear um, one sentence in a book. So, flag planted. <laughs> I'm
2: so glad I asked you this question, and thank you for suggesting yes. it. And I can't wait to yes. ask it to our next guest, Monica. Yes. Thank you so much for your time today. I had a blast. Thank
1: you for having me. I had a blast, too, always when I talk to you. Where can. Congratulations.
2: Thank you. Where can listeners find you, see you, engage with you? What are you working on right now? Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yes. So I'm currently teaching at Reach University. Um, All of my students are working in schools. They are paraprofessionals primarily who want to be teachers. Um, so I have three classes. One is a first year group, a second year group, and a third year group. Um, love that work. And I also started my own company yes, to support teachers. Um, so my, my whole goal, like for my whole 26-year career, has been to create experiences for kids that feel uplifting. So I called it Muse, M-U-S-E, Meaningful Uplifting Student Experiences, um, and so I currently, when someone asks me to come and either keynote about that um, or create a session for their teachers to help them do that work, then that is what I'm doing. So, yeah, I am. So the website is not live, but <laughs> but you can still find me uh, Twitter well not Twitter X um, and in other places as well. So I'll give you my info to put in the little. I'm blurb. so
2: glad because this is so, so you this idea and what you're doing there and I'm just so excited yeah, that you get yeah. to light up people's journey and path and inspire yeah. them and give them all of that because you have something really unique right you're an amazing teacher you're yeah. a great voice to develop and grow others and just you're a really good person and a good friend and I miss you I miss so you too it didn't an excuse to hang out with you
1: yes I mean,
2: it today. hopefully we get to do another one together. We'll find an excuse. We'll create a new topic. And yeah. We'll new topic. Together. <laughs> Thank, <laughs> Thank
3: you
1: so you much. Monica. You're amazing. I appreciate it.
0: Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to lessons learned. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like subscribe or share. And for more content created with educators in mind, consider subscribing to our monthly newsletter at betterlesson.com backslash the learning curve. Until next time.